Blog Talk Radio. someone a racist is a serious charge. A racist is someone who believes that one person is superior or inferior to another person. Simply based on their skin color or their race. It's a belief that is both foolish and stupid. But conservatives are accused by progressives of being racist on almost a daily basis. Is it a fair accusation? No. Is it just political posturing? And if it is political posturing, what does it say about the people making the charge? 
Hardly a day goes by that someone of prominence, a politician, a talk show host, an entertainer, doesn't call some conservative or conservatives generally racist. For example, the chairman of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, Congressman Steve Israel, to a significant extent, conservatives are racist. I forgot to put the quotes into that statement, so I'll go ahead because that's a direct quote. Steve Israel said, and I quote, to a significant extent, conservatives are animated by racism, end quote. TV newscaster Ed Schultz, and I quote, this is what the Republican Party stands for, racism, end quote. Oprah Winfrey. There's a level – oh, I forgot to put the quotes. The quote is from Oprah Winfrey. There's a level of disrespect for the office that occurs in some cases and maybe even many cases because the president is African-American. There's no question about that, end quote. Yeah, well, Oprah, there there is a question about that. Nevertheless, to call someone a racist should be a very serious matter. A racist is a person who believes that one race is inherently superior or inferior to another. It's not intelligence or goodness that determines an individual's worth. It's his skin color. To say that racism is foolish and stupid, not to mention evil, is to understate the case. But according to many of their critics, conservatives are that stupid and that evil. But with few exceptions, conservatives are neither. So why the charge? Why is, why is the charge ever made? The answer is primarily, primarily political to maintain black support for liberals and liberal policies. To back up this charge, the accusers point to conservative policies. So let's examine some conservative policies and see if they are indeed racist before we get into black mob violence and so on. Mary's in the house, Frankenstein, Casanova Frankenstein, Pendleton Marines are here. I got the Marines from Camp Pendleton in the house listening. Probably listening on one laptop in a barrack somewhere on the base. Alexander Solo's in the house, John Galt, quite a few others in our chat room tonight. The call in number is 347 884 8500. So let's take a look. The long standing conservative opposition to affirmative action is a good place to start. The long standing conservative opposition to affirmative action. Let's let's look at that for just a moment. It was it was Democrat President John F. Kennedy who first used the term affirmative action in nineteen sixty one. But affirmative action in the way we think of it now wasn't implemented until nineteen seventy. During the administration of wait for it, a Republican president. Richard Milhouse Nixon. I know some of my liberal friends are having a hard time with that one, so go ahead and look that up. The theory was that because of his historical uh, because of, because of historical discrimination, blacks were at a competitive disadvantage to other races and ethnicities. To erase that disadvantage, standards that most blacks presumably couldn't meet had to be lowered. Now, <laughs> I'm sorry, folks, but that sounds to me like racism. Not coming from Richard Milhouse, Nixon, 
the Democrats. One could make the case that this policy had some utility when it was first put in place, but that was that was a long time ago. The conservative position is that blacks have repeatedly proven they can compete with anyone without the benefits of demeaning benefits, standards. There are countless examples of blacks, black successes in every field at every level. The policy is no longer necessary. But the conservative argument goes further. Study after study show that in the case of college admissions, affirmative action actually hurts many blacks by lowering admission standards for blacks and some other minority students colleges set many of these students up for failure they get placed in schools for which they're not prepared and high black dropout weights confirm what i just said so it is common sense if white students with mediocre sat scores were admitted to ivy league schools they too would be set up to fail. Let's do the math. Let's do that. Conservatives believe that blacks and other minorities every bit as capable as whites of succeeding as policemen, firemen, businessmen, lawyers, doctors, politicians, and college students. Yet, for this belief, we conservatives are called racist. Well, in my case, I'm called an Uncle Tom or an Oreo. The irony, of course, is that those who accuse conservatives of being racist believe that blacks and other minorities are not as capable as whites of succeeding and therefore still need affirmative action almost half a century after it was first implemented. <sighs> Sounds like racism, doesn't it? But only from the liberal side, but let's go further. Let's look at another issue where this contrast between conservatives and those who accuse them of being racist is even more starkly drawn. Voter ID. Conservatives say that America, America should require that every voter present an ID where he or she votes. It makes sense to me. Otherwise, I could go down and vote as a felon and use Joe Jackson's name, who lives across the street, and vote using his name. And when he, as an honest citizen, goes to vote, who has no impediment, <laughs> he won't be able to vote because I already voted in his name. Hmm. Well, that's just one example. Conservatives say that America should require Every voter present an ID where he or she votes, just as European countries do in order to help keep their elections honest. Are all these democracies racist? Of course not. Yet the accusers say, liberals, that conservatives who support voter ID are racist, suggesting that blacks are incapable – of heading down to the DMV and obtaining an identification card that in most cases costs less than $8. And for those of us who are veterans, it's absolutely free to ask a black man or woman to head down to the DMV and get a identification card in order to vote. Well, that's just plain racist. Those damn racist conservatives, they want us to go down and get an ID card so we can go vote. Damn them. It's racist. Yet, some blacks will say, well, a lot of blacks can't afford to pay $8 or $20 or $30 for an ID card in order to vote. And yet, they can certainly afford those FUBUs and those Nikes for the toddlers and infants. 
and they can sure they sure can't afford those twenty inch rims. Well, I digress. Let's be real. Why do they say this? Because they argue it's really a ruse to prevent blacks and minorities from voting, since many of them simply aren't capable of acquiring an ID. They aren't capable. Can you get more condescending than that than to state that it's racist to ask a black man or woman to go and get an ID in order to vote because they're incapable of doing so? Does that sound racist to you? It sure to hell does, but not on the conservative side. Let's be real. You need an ID to drive, to fly, to buy beer, even to purchase some cold medications. Whites can do it, but blacks can't. Tell me who the racists are once again. One more example. It's conservatives who push for school vouchers, which would allow all parents, not just wealthy ones, to choose their children's school. It's the other side that doesn't trust minority parents to select an appropriate school for their children. Why aren't the people who compel black children to stay in terrible schools, why aren't they the racist? At some point, maybe you'll start asking yourself, like I did, who really obsesses with race? And whose policies really hurt blacks and minorities? Maybe it's not who you think it is. I'm Dr. Clarence Robert Jones, C. Robert Jones, and you're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. We'll be right back. My name is Albert Lee Guillory, and I'm the senator for the 24th district right here in beautiful Louisiana. Recently, I made what many are referring to as a bold decision to switch my party affiliation to the Republican Party. I wanted to take a moment to explain why I chose to become a Republican, and also to explain why I don't think it was a bold decision at all. It is the right decision, not only for me, but for all my brothers and sisters in the black community. You see, in recent history, the Democrat Party has created the illusion that their agenda and their policies are what's best for black people. Somehow it's been forgotten that the Republican Party was founded in 1854 as an abolitionist movement with one simple creed, that slavery is a violation of the rights of man. Frederick Douglass called Republicans the party of freedom and progress. And the first Republican president was Abraham Lincoln, the author of the Emancipation Proclamation. It was Republicans in Congress who authored the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, giving former slaves citizenship, voting rights, and due process of law. The Democrats, on the other hand, were the party of Jim Crow 
It was Democrats who defended the rights of slave owners. It was the Republican President Dwight Eisenhower who championed the Civil Rights Act of 1957. But it was the Democrats in the Senate who filibustered the bill. You see, at the heart of liberalism is the idea that only a great and powerful big government can be the benefactor of social justice for all Americans. But the left is only concerned with one thing, control. And they disguise this control as charity. Programs such as welfare, food stamps, these programs aren't designed to lift black Americans out of poverty. They were always intended as a mechanism for politicians to control the black community. The idea that blacks, or anyone for that matter, need the government to get ahead in life is despicable. And even more important, this idea is a failure. Our communities are just as poor as they have always been. Our schools continue to fail children. Our prisons are filled with young black men who should be at home, being fathers. Our self-initiative and our self-reliance have been sacrificed in exchange for allegiance to our overseers who control us by making us dependent on them. Sometime I wonder if the word freedom is tossed around so frequently in our society that it has become a cliché. The idea of freedom is complex and it's all-encompassing. It's the idea that the economy must remain free of government persuasion. It's the idea that the press must operate without government intrusion. And it's the idea that the emails and phone records of Americans should remain free from government search and seizure. It's the idea that parents must be the decision makers in regards to their children's education, not some government bureaucrat. But most importantly, it is the idea that the individual must be free to pursue his or her own happiness, free from government dependence and free from government control. Because to be truly free is to be reliant on no one other than the author of our destiny. These are the ideas at the core of the Republican Party, and it is why I am a Republican. So my brothers and sisters of the American community, please join with me today in abandoning the government plantation and the party of disappointment, so that we may all echo the words of one Republican leader who famously said, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Islamic State in major assault on Syrian border town. Eleven service members missing in crash and presumed dead. And Hillary Clinton made an email mistake but denies breaking rules. These are the True News headlines. I'm D.W. Balch. The Islamic State is trying to capture a strategic town on the Syrian-Turkish border, leaving dozens dead in clashes. Reports say the Islamic State is slamming Rash Alan and are able to take over a village nearby. Seven Marines and four soldiers aboard an Army helicopter that crashed over waters off Pensacola, Florida, during a routine night training mission from Elgin Air Force Base, are presumed dead. Crews have found human remains despite heavy fog hampering such efforts. A Pentagon official said to AP off the record that all 11 service members were presumed dead and that the Coast Guard found debris in the water. Hillary Clinton has conceded making a mistake in failing to use U.S. government email accounts when she was Secretary of State because she said she had opted for convenience. She insisted that she broke no rules and had handed over to the State Department all, quote, work-related, end quote, email contained on the private servers in her New York home, but sidestepped questions about whether she had deleted any work-related email. But she told reporters that she had no classified material on her servers and went above and beyond the legal requirements to preserve copies of government correspondence. Legislation to allow the use of firing squads in death penalty cases is heading to the desk of Utah Governor Gary Herbert. The bill was put forward as questions continued to be raised about using drugs to carry out executions in capital punishment cases. Priscilla Huff has more. The means are very, very different, one Utah state senator noted, but the ends are the same if you point a gun at someone or you give them a lethal cocktail of drugs. 
Before 2004, Utah had been the only state which allowed for the use of a firing squad. That was when that option was removed. And now, Governor Gary Herbert has not indicated whether he will sign the new bill passed by the state legislature. But a spokesman notes, a firing squad would allow the lawful order of the court and the carefully deliberated decision of the jury to be carried out. The Islamic State has posted a video online claiming to show a boy murdering an Israeli Arab prisoner. In the video, the boy is accompanied by a French-speaking terrorist who also threatens attacks on Jews in France. Tom Sobrick has more. The video shows a boy around the age of 12 shooting a man dead. A man, IS say, was an Israeli spy who had infiltrated the group. Israel has denied that Mohammed said Ismail Musalem, 19, was a Mossad agent. For more news, views, and comments, go to truenews.com. That's T-R-U-N-E-W-S dot com. I'm D.W. Balch. All right, welcome back, folks, to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Before we get into our major topic here, black mob violence spreads as the president preaches victimization in Selma, which is taken from an article in the American Thinker that was written today by uh, Colin Flattery. Um, let's, let, let's talk about a couple other things, like uh, Democrats who believe that uh, they own black America and they own the black American uh, vote. That's why they hate black Americans who don't buy into their white uh, – into that or, or white Republicans who want to do outreach. So if a, if a black Republican challenges the idea that black Americans are all helpless victims of racism who need crumbs from Democrats to survive, he'll be racially insulted, as I have been as a black man. If a white Republican like Paul Ryan starts doing some outreach that could conceivably appeal to black Americans, he will be immediately attacked as a racist. The Democrats are absolutely committed to keeping black Americans under their thumbs. And anyone who challenges that will be treated as a threat. Even your humble host, C. Robert Jones. I am constantly being called an Uncle Tom, an Oreo. I don't know my history. You know, the, 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 it goes on and on and on. A traitor, a reformer, a traitor, a, a traitor to my race. All sorts of things. But here's the thing. When... Republicans hit Democrats with any kind of damaging attack. It is inevitably called racist. For example, this is how former MSNB host Martin Bashir could say something as crazy as, quote, Republicans are using the IRS scandal as their latest weapon in the war against the black man in the White House. IRS is the new N-I-G-G-E-R, end quote. It's an attempt to shut Republicans up because the minute you use the word racist, of course Republicans go on the defensive. Conservatives go on the defensive. It's almost automatic. It's like uh, a reflex because we're, we're, we as Republicans, especially white – Republicans, conservatives are, are very sensitive to that, even though the Republican Party was started for the sole purpose of eliminating slavery. A liberal wants is to argue an issue on its merits. It's logical. Does it work? Is it the benefit is the benefit worth the cost? These are these things have nothing to do with why liberals support a position. So one of the many ways they try to get people off track is to accuse any white person arguing on a minority, arguing with a minority of being racist. And, and you know what? It's a great trick. Given that roughly 70% of Hispanic Americans and 90% of black Americans vote Democrat, many Republicans should adopt this and start accusing liberals who disagree with Alan West, Ben Carson, and Ted Cruz as being racist. Can you imagine Alan West being called a racist? Or Ben Carson being called a racist? Or Ted Cruz being called a racist? No, you can't imagine it. They'll be accused of 
being sellouts, not knowing their place. <laughs> Indeed. So, last night, or early this morning, two cops were shot. And guess what? Where? Ferguson. And you know what I believe? I believe strongly that President Obama has blood on his hands of these two cops, along with Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, and of course, fantastic, just the greatest attorney general, Eric Holder. They've all put fuel on the fire. Instead of being leaders and calming the situation and representing all of America, they have chosen to represent only black folks. You have a president, a president of the United States of America, all of America, taking sides, even though he has done nothing in the six years of his presidency to address, well, black unemployment. For example, it's at its highest level since since FDR's time. He doesn't do anything about those things. He doesn't speak about black families uh, uh, staying together, fathers staying with the mothers. He doesn't speak about social issues that are really important. He imagine if the president of the United States held his family and uh, as a as an example and said, "Fathers, stay with your wives." Marry the girlfriend that you got pregnant instead of going off to the next lady and impregnating her and then having several babies' mamas. And you support none. Imagine if the president put his efforts in that sort of thing. He marches in Selma and uses, of course, socialist and racist rhetoric. Instead of doing that, why not speak? to the community, and demand that they uplift themselves. But he won't do that because, in my opinion, folks, he's not all that much different from an Al Sharpton or a Jesse Jackson. He talks. He runs his mouth, and he does absolutely nothing. When when Rudy Giuliani dared to name Frank Marshall Davis Communist Party card number 47544, That was his number. As an influence on a young Barack Obama, liberals ripped their garments and wailed blasphemy and racism. Rudy, his unpardonable sin, reminded them of all sorts of noxious behavior. And in some cases, it reminded liberals of what else? Racism. (sighs) Last week's Race to the bottom, led by former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, has proven why Americans are learning to hate politics and the media. Started with started start, stated Chuck Todd Chuck Todd on MSNBC's Meet the Press. Quote: Giuliani even used an old racial dog whistle. Of the civil rights era, communism, end quote. I didn't know that the word communism had anything to do with race. I mean, I've been around since 1962. Communism and racism don't seem to be, they don't, do they even go together in any way at all? You see, this is what I talked about in the last segment. Racism. If you eat, if you like your wife waffles a little lighter than darker, then you're a racist. (laughs) To illustrate Rudy's effrontery, effrontery, Todd played a clip of this blatant display of racism. Obama's grandfather introduced him to Frank Marshall Davis, said Rudy, who was a communist. Can you imagine? Have you ever seen such transparent race baiting? There Rudy was, 
blowing that old racist racial dog whistle of the civil rights era communism. Communism and racism. Do you ever think of the two together? Because when I think of communism, I think of Vladimir Putin. I think of Lenin. <laughs> I think of Mother Russia. I don't think of black folks. Do you? I don't think of the civil rights movement. Do you think of when you when you hear the word communism, do you think of the civil rights movement? No. Of course not. I mean, I do recall that Martin Luther King was accused of being a communist by J. Edgar Hoover and that his hotel rooms were bugged by J. Edgar in an effort to ascertain MLK's communist leanings only to review the tapes later. And all he got for his troubles was the sounds of Martin having sex with women who were not his wife. How disgusting was that? Imagine. <laughs> I'm J. Edgar Hoover. I received tapes in my office from one of my agents. I'm salivating. Over the thought, I'm going to hear and catch Martin Luther King planning some communist coup of the great United States of America. Planning. I'm, I'm, I got my pen ready. I got my. I'm, I'm going to take some notes. I, I, I press play on my on my tape recorder. And all I hear from my troubles while I'm holding my pen and salivating is the sound of Martin Luther King having sex in a hotel room with not one, not two, but three ladies all at the same time. Oh, well, I've got the wrong tape here. I got, I got somebody's, somebody's playing a comp. Somebody's playing a joke. Who's playing a practical joke? On me, J. Edgar Hoover, with this smut. So I take that tape out. I put another tape in. Like, press the play button. I'm looking to hear what plans MLK has for a communist takeover of this once great nation. What? 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 Another tape of Martin Luther King at the Hotel Lorraine having sex with another woman? Was Martin's wife there at the hotel Lorraine that night? No, no, no. She was back. She was back in in, in Atlanta, or was she in Birmingham? She wasn't. So who is this? Tape after tape after tape that J. Edgar Hoover listened to consist only of Martin having sex with women who were not his wife. Those sex tapes have been sealed. All that could be recovered until 2025. Aren't you waiting patiently for those to be released? I know I am. And I'm going to try to stay healthy so that I can take a listen. I've heard one already, by the way. But nevertheless, I'm digressing. We're looking for communism and racism and how somehow they tie together. They, they, they don't. But equally intriguing, Barack Obama himself alluded to this in his Selma speech. But before considering Obama and Selma, I'd like to first illustrate how Davis used this insidious form of communist race card. It's quite revealing. Take a listen. In reply to accusations of his pro-Soviet, pro-communist work, Frank Marshall Davis Barack Hussein Obama's mentor regularly charged accusers of being motivated by racism. He did this in his many columns for the party line organ in Chicago, the Chicago Star, of which he was the founding editor-in-chief. He continued the tactic in his columns for the Honolulu Record, 
From 1949 to 1950, Davis used the word racist ten times in his record columns. In almost every case, the charges were used to denounce anti-Soviet and anti-communist positions. They were leveled at Harry Truman's foreign policy, at at, at, uh, Truman's attorney general, Tom Clark, who sought out communist, communist subversives, at Southern Democrats on the House Committee of Un-American Activities, tasked with investigating Americans who swore a loyalty oath to Stalin. Davis, did I mention that Frank Marshall Davis was Barack Hussein Obama's mentor and mentioned repeatedly in Frank uh, in in Barack Obama's book streams of my father's and and that other one. Did I mention that that he was Obama's father figure and mentor? Okay, so Davis especially smeared Harry Truman. It didn't matter that Truman did many anti-racist things, such as desegregating the armed forces. For Davis, Truman's anti-socialism was reason to take him down. Davis titled one of his newspaper articles, quote, White House to White Hoods, KKK hails Truman's policies as its own. We're talking about the president who desegregated the military with the stroke of a pen. Against the advice of almost everyone in his cabinet. But hey, let the facts be damned, right? In his November 24, 1949 Honolulu Record column, Davis explicitly linked anti-communism to KKK membership. Quote, for many years, the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, has been virtually, virtually inactive, wrote Davis. But recently, the groups have come alive. They are trying to present to unite all under a single leadership with the slogan of, quote, fight communism to maintain white supremacy. To reaction, any attempt to change the status quo of discrimination in communistic, that's actually a word, end quote. That Davis was employing this angle to protect himself was obvious. If you fight too hard for civil rights, he wrote two weeks later in a December 8 piece, you are likely to be branded a communist. He implied that this was why he was being branded the C word. Quote, I personally have no intention of letting the cry of communism sidetrack me from my goal of complete civil rights as guaranteed by the Constitution, end quote. Frank Marshall Davis, folks, Barack Hussein Obama's mentor. Did Barack Obama learn any of this from Davis during his many meetings together, during their many meetings together? Davis was an openly bitter man. With these feelings including America, as Obama himself noted in quoting him in Dreams from My Father, Davis always portrayed himself as an innocent victim. In his own memoirs, he refused a direct admission that he joined the Communist Party. He still wanted people to think that allegations against him were the product of racism. In meeting with a young Obama, he likely would have given the impression of this to uh, uh, as his critics. Could that have happened? I can't say for certain. Nevertheless, considering this fascinating passage from Obama's Selma statement, where he consider this, where he acknowledges previous fighters for civil rights, and I'll read it here. As we commemorate our achievement or their achievement, we are well served to remember that at the time of the marches, many in power condemned rather than praised them. Back then, they were called communists, half-breeds, outside agitators, sexually and moral degenerates, 
and worse. Everything but the name of their the name their parents gave them. Their faith was questioned. Their lives were threatened. Their patriotism was challenged. Could he have been referring to, in some small part, to his mentor, Frank Marshall Davis? Obama was speaking of the civil rights fighters who crossed that bridge, most obviously in Selma, but I think he was clearly, clearly referring to civil rights fighters generally. Was he referring to Frank Marshall Davis, though? The interesting thing about Obama's Selma speech was that most, if not all, of the suffering that those marchers, those brave marchers endured were at the hands of Southern Democrats. Sarge is in the house. So, was Sarge is uh, is a blog talk uh, radio host, and also he's a listener, and he's in the chat room. That's what I meant by that. So, was Barack Obama in Selma referring to Frank Marshall Davis? For that matter, was Obama possibly including himself in that passage? Take a closer read of that packet passage in the American Thinker. www.americanthinker.com entitled Black Mob Violence Spreads as the President Preaches Victimization in Selma because that's the inspiration for this segment. What do you think about that? Are we shocked yet again? Are we shocked yet again? Will Barack Hussein Obama and Eric Holder take responsibility for last night's shooting? As far as I know, both officers are still very much alive. And they were attacked for no reason at all. My youngest son, Nicholas, is a policeman. So I'm deeply concerned whenever a policeman is injured in any way at all, but especially for simply doing his duty. Indeed, Melinda believes in the chat room that Eric Holder set a bad tone. The thing about these folks are they don't really care. You know, as leaders, as leaders, and I number myself as one, we don't choose sides. We don't we don't take sides with one group of people over another. We speak in general terms for the most part so that we don't put ourselves in a position of playing favorites. I won't pay, play favorites with one of my Marines over another. That's poor leadership, and that's a good way to get yourself in trouble. Imagine on a much greater scale the President of the United States, his Attorney General, Eric Holder, playing favorites. They're both black. And all they're talking about is that white police officers are bad. White police officers are racist. People are racist. Uh, America is filled with, um, what was the words he was looking for? Cowards. We're a nation of cowards when it comes to race. I have a theory. And I have uttered this theory once or twice in the five years I've been hosting on Blog Talk Radio. And that is, we have seen the last, well, in our time, of a black president. Not even if he is a conservative do I believe that we will see another black president anytime soon. 
And it's sad. We had the first black heavyweight champion of the world, Jack Johnson. 1911-1912. He behaved so poorly. Made such poor decisions during his time as champion. White folks vowed that there would never be another. Full 36 years or 38 years later, we had the second, only the second black heavyweight champion, Joe Lewis. Barack Obama has done the black community a great disservice. In simply, by simply holding the office of the presidency. Because he has proven for those few racists out there still left, for those racists who are still left, not few, but for those racists who are still left in this country who are out there somewhere, he has proven <laughs> he has proven a couple of stereotypes. Blacks are lazy. We don't really want to work. You know, we like to shuck and jive. Shucking and jiving, that's like goofing off, laughing, having a good old time, carefree, not really doing what you're supposed to do. That's what shucking and jiving means. And when I say Obama was shucking and jiving, he's shucking and jiving by yucking it up on The Tonight Show all of the time. Hanging out, laughing and giggling with Beyonce and Jay-Z and and the whole crew. You never see the guy sitting at the desk working. Well, rarely. There are a few pictures out there, to be fair. He spends a lot of time vacationing and on the golf course, just chilling. Add a couple hundred thousand dollars an hour for Air Force One just to sit on a tarmac somewhere. That's what it cost. But he has no problem firing up the jet and flying off somewhere. Just chilling. Every time there's a crisis, he tells some reporter or his administration tells some reporter that, well, the president didn't know about it. He read about it in a newspaper yesterday or in some magazine somewhere. Apparently, he's not up on current events. So if racists out there need any ammunition that blacks are lazy Napping over in the woodpile, no damn good, lazy, all of those stereotypes. Barack Obama has put a spotlight on those stereotypes. Because damn, the dude is lazy. He talks about racism all the time. He doesn't do his job. He's golfing. He's hanging out. He's eating somewhere. You'll see him with a, with, a, with a handful of ribs or some chicken or a burger or a beer in his hand. He doesn't spend a lot of time actually doing the job of the president of the United States. And yet, he makes time for some really horrible speeches, like his Selma speech. And I, I was amazed to read that so many people thought that he hit that one out of the park. Wow, that was one of the greatest speeches of all time. That speech sucked all to be damned. Filled with overtones, racial overtones about racism. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe he'd start talking about... Um, bringing the nation together and how far we've come and how far we've come as a nation since that time. You know, play up the really good stuff instead of talking, you know, kind of obliquely about himself. And what about the picture of folks crossing a bridge and George George Bush's is out there crossing the bridge as well, and his portion of the picture is cut out. I mean, they took such great pains to cut out George Bush from the picture that they cut out like half of the black folks too. 
those poor black folks who were anywhere near George Bush in that picture, they're <laughs> they're never gonna they they won't even have anything to show their grandkids. And look, this is a picture of me with the president of the United States walking across this uh, fame this fabled uh, uh, bridge. They they they'll never be seen unless they get a copy of the original picture. Because the liberal media took such pains to cut out George Bush that they cut out half the whole damn crowd. Sad. Just just sad. Just sad. Sarge is in the house. That speech was all about his agenda and a little to commemorate the march itself. Indeed, Sarge. Indeed. Well, Sarge came in late. I would have liked to him uh, for him to have uh, called in and, and given his uh, his opinion and stellar wisdom, but he came in a little bit late. Show's almost over. I wish I could have heard from him. Hey, Sarge, please do come back. We'll be back on Monday, my man. Thank you, Melinda, Mary, Net King, Sarge, guest, Evil Clown, Casanova Frankenstein, Blog Talk, Alexander Sodio, so, Solo, everybody who's listening to the show tonight, thank you so much. There's so many things you could be doing, and you chose to come in and listen to my show, and I so do appreciate it. We'll be back Monday, Monday through Thursday, 8 to 9 p.m. Uh, so, hey, good night, folks. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. We are out. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. What do those words mean to you? To me, they say, thank you, America, for your strength, your courage, and for our freedom, which has been a beacon to the world for 200 years. Of the United States of America. Whose bright stars are 50 states, each bearing its own stamp of individuality. People, 200 million strong. People who have come to her from all corners of the earth. And to the republic for which it stands. A land of laws, an ingenious system of checks and balances that allows no man to become a tyrant and lets no group prevail if their power is not tempered with a real concern for the governed. A land where the right of dissent and free speech is jealously guarded. Where the ballot box is the sword people, its wielder. One nation under God. A land where freedom of worship is a cornerstone of her being. A land graced with temples and churches, synagogues and altars that rise in profusion to embrace all the religions of the world. Indivisible. A land forged by the hot steel of raw courage, conformed forever by the awful crucible civil war, where man in pursuit of an honest life will not be denied his chance, where her citizens move freely within her vast borders without hindrance or fear, a land brimming with opportunity, where freedom of choice is the guideline for all. The courts of our land are open to all, its wheels of justice grind for all causes, all people. They look to every avenue for justice, every concern of the law, and they temper their reasoning with mercy for all.